Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Dr. Beatrice Ilari is Associate Professor of Music Education and Chair of the Department of Music Teaching and Learning at the University of Southern California. Using both quantitative and qualitative approaches, she has conducted extensive research with infants and children to examine the intersections between music, child development, cognition, and culture. In this talk, recorded on March 20th, she discusses her latest research into children's musical experiences during the pandemic and what lessons we may glean for the future. This is a topic that is very close to my heart. Aside from being a parent, I've been studying child development for a very long time. So I wanted to understand where does music feature in children's lives and how can we as educators support them and their families? So here's just a a quick roadmap of my talk today. So I I will tell you a little bit about what we knew pre-pandemic about music and family life and then delve right into musical parenting research, talk about intensive parenting, and then parenting families and COVID-19, what we've learned recently about this experience and the pandemic for families with children and how it relates to music. And then in the second part of the talk, I want to share with you two recent studies, exploratory studies that I've done with colleagues on music and children's family life during the pandemic. The first thing that I wanted to share with you is that, you know, in music education, we have really focused on schools, community spaces. The home has not been viewed as the main space for music learning. It, It has always been kind of a secondary place. And it wasn't until the late 80s that we started seeing studies on music in the home and the the role of home environment, parents, siblings, communities. So it wasn't until then, before that, most of our studies were on schools and conservatoires and, and art schools. At the turn of the century, we also saw another, a second round of studies on uh, music in the home, specially motivated, I think, by psychological research that looked at music and uh, mothers and babies and the communication, musical communication and so on. But now the pandemic has shifted things and the home is a main site for music learning. So this research is very relevant to um, our understanding of what's happening now and also where we'll be in the future. As somebody who has been studying music and child development for a long time, I have received a lot of videos from parents over the years. And this is a pre-pandemic video of a five-year-old doing a you know, self-initiated concert for her parents. So these are everyday scenes. So these are everyday scenes that I've collected over the years and scenes that parents see and and other people um, engage with. Now, pre-pandemic, there are other things aside from these home concerts. Uh, We knew that parents, for instance, have and caregivers have a very important role because they set up the musical home environment. They expose children to music from very early on. They enroll children in programs. They support practice. When we could be outside, you know, and attend performances, they also did that. 
And the other piece that we know is that, you know, family members, um, they enjoy music-related activities together. They learn music with and from one another. So there's several reports about that. A concept that we sometimes use in, in music education is this idea of musical parenting. So that there's a music, you know, shapes parenting in a very specific way. And what musical parenting is, is really this set of beliefs, attitudes, perceptions, attributions, expectations, values, and behaviors of parents in respect to their children's musical experiences. So it's a very complex construct because it involves so many things from beliefs to what you actually do with children. Um, we also know that musical parenting is related to transmission of cultural values across generation. It's not static. It changes according to children's needs, interests, and skills over time. And it also impacts how children develop. Musical parenting is also influenced by something that if you are a parent or if you have parents around you, you've, you might have experienced, which is intensive parenting. So when I was a grad student, I remember this book came out, and this was many years ago, uh, and it captured my attention. So I bought the book, which was Toilet Train for Yale. So this issue of you know parents being so concerned about children's futures and investing in children's futures, with music being an important part of um, this investment, if you will. And there are many other titles. You might have heard about some of these books. So Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom, Paranoid Parenting, The Dolphin Parent, Idle Parent, uh, Mamaholic, Anxious Parent. So there's a lot that has been talked about in terms of parental anxieties. And one that I just wanted to share with you because I thought it was really funny, but also very um but rings true to a lot of parents was this post that, that was tweeted by a lot of folks and shared. So how to be a mom in 2017. So make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed foods-free, GMO-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard and one and a half siblings spaced at at least two years apart for proper development. Also, don't forget the coconut oil. So I remember, you know, coming across um, this post and thinking, well, this these are some of the pressures that parents are feeling over the years. And now we also have a pandemic. So you can get a sense of the home environment that children are in. Um, this is especially true for middle-class parents, of course, but all this pressure that's in there. And with the pandemic, this has been certainly exacerbated. So when you look at the literature on parenting and COVID-19, no surprise, the pandemic elevated stress and worsened parental and mental health. We also know that mothers are doing most childcare, so it has really, there's a lot that people are talking about in terms of shifting the roles of childcare and, and also women's roles due to the pandemic. The other piece that, that's out there is this idea that stress is a mediator between how people perceive the impact of COVID-19 and parent-child closeness, harsh parenting, and child well-being. At the same time, we know that warm parenting is a protective factor. More recent research is talking about how at the same time you're seeing some solidarity among parents, even if we can't be together in a physical space, parents trying to help each other, but parents are concerned about children's opportunities to socialize, and we know this. At the same time, there are fewer reports about parents being concerned about children getting sick 
perhaps due to media reports. So this is very recent research. Now, in terms of children, and we know all of this, but I think research is kind of reiterating what we know. So children are experiencing high levels of fear, uncertainty, distraction, irritability, lack of play spaces in some parts of the world, like in Japan, increased screen time. Parents are concerned about that. Changes to eating and, and sleeping patterns and disruption to routines. So especially children under the age of five, there's a very uh, recent report talking about how they're resistant to following directions and engaging in routines at home. Looking at teachers' perspective, and this was a big study done in the UK, um, they talked about how children who actually went back to nursery schools and daycares with all the limitations they talk about remembering and imagining friends in childcare, so singing common songs that were part of the routine before the pandemic, so teachers documented that. Exploring COVID and play, and there are several reports talking about that, children playing the death game, and especially when teachers were not looking, so reenacting what we're hearing in the news and what's around them. And so there's this conclusion that even very young children, they have a good understanding of what the impact of COVID-19 on daily life and in terms of adolescents, um, the, the Guardian called it the lockdown generation. So adolescents are experiencing a lot of boredom, anxiety, sadness, isolation. They, they've lost some of the things that were so important to them, rituals that were important, like the prom, um, graduation, being together with friends. Again, the overuse of electronic devices, social media, more sedentary behavior, so that's a concern as well, and a lot of loneliness and depression, which Canadian scholars have said that could be associated with elevated time spent on social media. And that, and to counter that, adolescents who spent more time with family and involved in schoolwork were seen to be less depressed. So this is something to me that's very worrisome, something that we need to imagine how to counter. The last thing I wanted to say is, you know, there are these cascading effects of the pandemic. So when we think about the pandemic and children and adolescents, the effects, they, you know, trickle down from one family member to the next. Prime and colleagues have talked about how there are these effects. First, these social and economic forces, you know, being socially distanced from our friends, from our family members, from our schools, uh, all the job losses and security towards the future, fears of becoming ill, closure of offices, extracurricular activities, and the transfer of daily activities in the, to the home. What this does is, of course, disrupting family routines, changing communication, organization, and belief systems, um, and how this impacts family adjustments. So, as I said earlier, the stressors that affect one family member are likely to impact the functioning of others. And how this is seen in, in parents and caregivers is, you know, negative feelings, perceptions, thinking about their roles, their own, how they feel about their own parenting skills. And with children, all these things I've mentioned, you know, distraction, irritability, clinginess, fear, the impacts on their sleep and eating patterns. At the same time, how parents and families are adapting. So there's, you know, engagement in activities that they like, participation in extracurricular activities where possible. It's very important for elementary school children, adolescents. Uh, parents' work productivity, if they feel they're productive at work, if they're working parents, that's also important to them, being able to cope with everything plus work. And also parental solidarity. So there are all these effects of the pandemic. And so the question that I had been trying to understand is, can music promote well-being in children and families during these trying times? We're seeing more and more research on 
musical engagement uh, following measures of social distance. So several reports about how people have engaged much more with music in multiple ways. Also consumption of guitars, we know, has been huge. So a lot of people bought instruments to learn and to, you know, to develop a skill and to cope with the pandemic. Lots of musical videos and musical engagement with other people after the lockdown. So you can look at, you know, from the first reports, the videos that we saw people singing in Italy, other parts of the world, but also people sharing music with one another. And one of the functions of music in lockdown has been really to regulate mood and to help cope with lockdown. There's a lot of nostalgia, so people listening to songs, adults listening to songs of their youth. And also a very recent report talks about parent-child musical activities being associated with parent-child attachment. So people who are more engaged with music with their children are also reporting, you know, stronger bonds at home. So here you go, two studies that we have been working on. So the first one was very straightforward. In the beginning of the pandemic with three colleagues, we decided to let's look at what people are doing at home, or, you know, how they're coping, and with music as one of the elements that we wanted to see. So we had a group of 119 American parents. They were recruited through parenting groups on Facebook. And out of these groups, we had 19 single parents, one um, reporting that they were in an unbinary relationship, and the rest were, you know, in two-parent um, families. There were between two and 10 people living at home at the time of the study, and 79% of these parents were working from home. This was a highly educated sample. 70% had graduate degrees, and the majority of them had children in elementary and middle school. And they had experienced time in lockdown from 1 to 20 weeks, so an average of 12 weeks. And what we did was just an e-survey. So we sent the survey out and we asked them to talk about their demographics, you know, their work and perceived how much time they, they perceive spending in, in childcare now that they were in lockdown and before, uh, their perceptions of parenting and well-being, how they felt during this time. We asked them to report on extracurricular activities before and after lockdown and also parent-child activities in the home. What were they doing and what did they enjoy doing and what did they not like to do with their children? There are lots of things to talk about. I'm just going to highlight three main uh, findings. The first one was, you know, extracurricular activities. We know that these are important for children and adolescents. So one thing that's not surprising, um, these activities, there, there was a huge reduction after the lockdown. And when we did the breakout of activities according to their main areas, academic, athletic, artistic, religious, and other, we saw that there was reduction in all of them. But interestingly, music lessons were the ones that suffered the least amount of reduction in all artistic activities and in all activities in general. So it was interesting how um, you know music teachers were able to adapt quickly despite all the limitations, the latency with videos and all of that, you know, they continue to provide music lessons for for children. The second thing was, you know, parent-child activities. We asked them, what do you like to, what are you doing? What do you like to do? And what you do you dislike doing with your kids? So again, it was interesting how music listening and playing featured as one of their most enjoyed activities and something that parents were doing along with baking. It was at that, that time when people were baking a lot and also playing games and watching TV. As I said, three main findings. A third main finding was that, you know, parents who rated themselves as pro more productive at work 
were also the ones who reported higher levels of well-being. So that was important. These Most of these were working parents. So for them, this was important to make sure that, you know, they were still productive at work. Um, so as I said, you know, music listening was highly appreciated, along with baking, playing games, watching TV. But homework, academic activities, house chores, and social media were things that parents did not like doing with their kids. And we also found the significant reduction of extracurricular activities uh, with the arts and music in particular suffering the least amount of reduction. So that tells us something about what was happening. And this was May and June. So, you know, we thought the pandemic would end there, um, but it didn't. So in the summer with a colleague, we decided to do a slight different study because surveys, you know, people answer what they're doing, but we wanted to get, learn a little bit more about music and the home and to limit the age group as well, because, you know, children zero to 16, as we had done in the survey, was that's a very large uh, age range and, and kids are very different in these different, um, different stages of their lives. So we designed the study called Parents as Home DJs. And the idea behind the study was we wanted to understand, first of all, in what situations do parents use music at home and what kinds of music do they select for their children? And we also wanted to know, do they perceive any effects of musical engagement on family well-being? So by playing music with for children, dancing with children, singing with children, do they feel that there's you know, some some effects of, of those activities on their own and their children's well-being. So in this study, what we did was we recruited, um, and it happened to be uh, Asian American mothers that agreed to participate. There were 21, and these are people with children five years and under. Uh, we asked them to complete a child temperament measure. We asked them to measure their own well-being. And what we did was we did posts on Instagram for, an, for a week where we gave them daily questionnaires and we, we would um, post these um, infographics on Instagram with suggestions on things they could do musically with their kids and ask them to respond. What were you doing? What are some of the things that you did musically with your kid during your week? Uh, what we also did during this Parents as Home Week DJs, we gave them, we created these playlists with suggested repertoire, but they could use anything they wanted to. And we gave them titles based on the arousal level. So if it was music that, you know, was very uplifting or if it was music that was just had a what we believe to be like a calming effect, like slower songs, things that would keep kids in a different kind of mindset. For instance, we one of them, we just gave them a, a fictitious title. We called it, you know, Almost Lively Vibes. That was very lively, playful music. And these lists had each one of them 10 pieces or songs. And they range from all kinds of styles, from pop music to world music to classical pieces to jazz. So parents could actually choose what they like to do, and just, just as suggestions. We asked parents if they wanted to, they could share videos. They didn't have to. And it was interesting that one of the moms shared this video and she said, you know, I was having a very difficult day. My kids were, I, I had work stuff to do. My kids were really not cooperating, not going along with the routine. And so I decided to try music from one of the playlists. I tried calming music. We had an exit questionnaire. And at the end, she did say, you know, uh, I think the music really helped to creates an environment at home that really helped with the routine and made me de-stress for a moment. So this was, you know, very 
Nice to see. So again, you know, just general findings. We collected 197 episodes of children's engagement with recorded music during the Parents as Home DJ week. We found that mothers who use music more often, they reported higher levels of psychological well-being, so it did help them in some way. But what was interesting was that we found mothers in this very small-scale study to use music to maintain or reinforce children's positive mood. So when children were in a good mood, that's when parents felt that the music was more helpful. So when children were acting out or there are other issues, they felt music was not as helpful for them. And the other thing that we found was that, you know, children were engaging with music in implicit and in multimodal ways. So they were looking at a lot of videos, parents reported using videos on YouTube to engage children. So there's this not just listening, but also looking at videos. So there's the visual modality involved as well. The last comment I wanted to make was in terms of repertoires. So parents said that more often that they were using children's music and soundtracks from TV shows, from Disney movies. And there are a couple of channels that were very um, favored by parents. So Super Simple Songs, Pink Fong, Coco Melons, uh, Sesame Street. So these are the ones that this group of parents seem to be using with their children. So, of course, you know, both studies have a couple of limitations. They're web-based, so people who don't have access to the internet or interest in being in a web-based study did not participate. These are people who had time, they're interested in research, and they had access to technology. But we recognize that anything that we do during the pandemic is very context-specific and time-sensitive because things have changed over time and they continue to change every day. So in our case, we collected data at the end of the school year and the parents as home DJs was during the summer when, you know, people were at home and children were not involved with school. So I'm sure that data would look differently now had we collected data, say, in October or now. Research with parents, there's always an issue of social desirability. So parents will sometimes report things because they want to show good parenting skills. So we understand that that's an issue. And we didn't ask children themselves, you know, how are you feeling about this? This was a study with adults reporting on what children were doing. We don't have any data on adolescents, not for these these um, studies or on school music education. And I know that in many districts, music education and arts education have been reduced considerably uh, due to in the pandemic. So these are things that we need to explore. But we did learn a few things. So it seems to, you know, and and consistent with other reports that music is playing an important role in family life during the pandemic for mood enhancement, emotional regulation, leisure, routine maintenance, and skill development. But we did see cascading effects of the pandemic on children to some extent. So stressed parents seem to be stressed children, or when children are in a better mood like the kid eating, you see also parents feeling better for moments, even if momentarily, I think that's important. Other thing, music, there are different forms of engagement as well. So a couple of other lessons that I think we need to think about is, at least I've, you know, in my own experience, sometimes I think I've romanticized the repertoires that children listen to, you know, perhaps based on my own nostalgia and of my own childhood. But the truth is videos are really a big hit in in children's lives. And I think with the pandemic, this is going to be even more because we're spending a lot of time in front of screens. But just to consider things like Baby Shark, which has been huge. And this was one of the only children's songs to ever hit the billboard in 2018. So it's really interesting that 
you know, videos, this multimodality of music learning is so big. Another example I can give you is the Jerusalem Challenge, which was a song that was generated in um, South Africa, was created in South Africa, then went to Angola, someone proposed a, a challenge, and then adults are recording their own choreographies. And then you have a lot of children throughout the world and children watching these videos and copying movements. So that's another uh, piece. So videos, the way of ways of engagement are really important. So again, school is inside the home. So parent-teacher relationships, I think, are more important than ever, but they're also very challenging. It's very difficult for many of us to engage with the, you know, parents of our students because people are working, because of limitations to access to internet and so on. But it's something we need to continue to work on. The other piece that I wanted to put out there is this idea that, you know, digital technologies are here to stay. We know that. Um, but what we are also seeing again, you know, parent and teacher initiated videos are pe- things that people share with me to describe their experiences. And one thing we're seeing is portable music lessons. So children now, music teachers have adapted, they've recorded it, or they're doing their lessons on Zoom, on other platforms. And children are sometimes taking these lessons with their, their parents' phones, and that's how they're attending, you know, music lessons or, or participating in music. Um, and one thing that might be helpful for many teachers is to, you know, not just do playlists, but to try to engage students with diaries, maybe not every day, not three times a week, but maybe weekly, or there are ways to try to understand what people are doing musically and how we can support what's happening in homes and complement and so on. So as I said, you know, creating playlists may be helpful for people working with children, with teens, with families, with teenagers. They can create, they create their own lists naturally. So learning about those is important. I wanted to share this other resource that to me has been very powerful. I've watched it a million times and I share it with everyone because I think it's so powerful and it gave me so many ideas to do with my own kids, which is the Yo-Yo Mode uh, doodling show. So here you have Mo Williams, you know, drawing while Yo-Yo Ma plays music and there's this interaction. And these are things we can do at home with the music that we like, with paper, pencil, crayons. And my children enjoy doing that as well. So something to um, consider doing with students. Last year, I did talk about the Chrome Music Lab. I still love it. I still think there's a lot that you can do um, that kids can play around and experiment with music. There are lots of beautiful musical storybooks. I've discovered several of them during the pandemic. And one one of my favorites is When Angels Sing, which is the, the story of Carlos Santana. And there are other composers, um, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Beethoven, and others so that we can introduce to our students. Building instruments and learning about other music projects around the world. My kids enjoyed learning about the Land Philharmonic. We talked about recycling. We talked about other things that we can do as music educators towards a sustainable uh, world. So building instruments with objects that we have at home with um, um, recyclables. Um, And other resources. I know the LA Opera has a lot of great materials for you. Uh, The Music Instruments Museum in Phoenix has other educator resources that you can rely on and, and experiment with. And of course, the National Association for Music Education has COVID-19 guidelines for teachers. So in conclusion, I think, you know, we have to, as teachers, and I say this, it doesn't matter if you're teaching five-year-old or if you're teaching college students, we have to try to build bridges as much as we can. Share knowledge. That's what we teachers do and we do well and continue doing that. And if you're working with kids, 
also helping parents support their children's music learning. I know the districts have sometimes cut back on music and the arts in favor of literacy and numeracy, and that's important. But I think the arts have a role, a very important role um, for us to get our emotions out, you know, and talk about our, our impressions of the world during these times. And also connect. I think connection is so important. We're missing our friends. We're missing our social time together. So as teachers to consider including activities that build, that make us connect with one another in the home, in, in whatever way possible uh, to connect with people outside our home as well, even if through virtual projects that we do or, you know, ways to really connect. But starting from the family, I think is really important. And above all, I think we need to try to dance, sing, move, and shake our troubles away. These are very difficult times, but we'll get through them. And I think music is not the only solution, but it's something that can certainly help us feel better and get there. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.